0: J.R. Spear, R. Spear, R.
1: Spear,
2: All right, today we have another awesome guest. His name is Pat D'Amico, leadership experience. He has leadership experience began at the early age, accelerating after his enlistment in the United States Army. And then while at Valley Forge Military Academy, where he rose to the rank of cadet commander of the college. And after his commissioning as an officer in the U.S. Army, Pat served in overseas deployments, leading soldiers in Panama, Cuba and the Middle East. He achieved the rank of captain and received numerous recogniz- recognitions for his leadership in both combat and humanitarian operations. So, Pat, today we're talking all about addressing today's leadership gap epidemic. And But before we dive into it, I want the audience to really know more about who you are as a person and what led you to where you're at today to be able to help all amazing entrepreneurs you know, build their businesses.
1: Well, thanks, Chair. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, yeah. you know uh, I, I'm originally from Buffalo New York and uh, I think my my journey in this area really began in high school I was fortunate to have some leadership opportunities in high school uh, at the same time uh, I'm always willing to admit that I was not an exceptional high school student from a grades perspective. So when I was graduating, uh, my parents asked, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I'm, I'm going to go to college, which they found interesting because there wasn't really any money to send me. And so um, uh, so my solution was I enlisted in the Army. And at 17, my parents signed me, signed me away and, and I uh, went to basic training. And it was uh, during that sort of early stint that I competed and was awarded an Army scholarship. So as a result of that, I went through an early commission Program, which is what took me to Valley Forge Military College, which was a junior college. So, uh, so after uh, after my plebe year there and into my sophomore year, um, I was uh, was appointed as cadet captain of the college. So, had roughly around 140 or 50 uh, cadets under my charge, full staff. And it was really uh, that experience for me really changed my life. Um, I was fairly disciplined actually as a high school student, but Valley Forge gave me the opportunity to really uh, explore my leadership potential and and grow my leadership as much as you can when you're 18 years old and in charge of 150 other uh, young young men at the time. So made a lot of mistakes uh, early at that time. from there, I completed my degree. I got my commission, uh, completed my degree at Catholic University in DC, and then went on active duty. Uh, I was in the military police corps uh, and was assigned to a combat military police unit. So I often say, although the army paid for college, they got a lot more out of me than I got out of them because it was an interesting time. It was the late 80s. Uh, so I deployed to Panama immediately after the invasion there and ran law enforcement activities for this, for Panama City uh, and some of the outlying areas. Uh, and then subsequently ended up deploying to the Middle East, uh, to Saudi Arabia originally uh, during Operation Desert Shield. And then Desert Storm was in Iraq. Uh, and then, after return from that deployment, immediately turned around and went to Cuba uh, for for the humanitarian crisis there uh, during the Haitian migrant crisis. Uh, and then exited the military uh, in 1993. So in 1993, I joined Johnson and Johnson in a in a sales role. And I've spent the last 30 years in the business sector, and 25 of those I spent. In, uh, in industry, in large organizations. So I spent 15 years at J&J, sales, sales management, did a lot of sales operations time, um, and then left J&J for a startup, uh, which I took a job as a VP of commercial operations. That organization was bought by Medtronic, which you may be familiar, it's the largest medical device manufacturer in the world. And I did, a number, I did about 10 years or so at Medtronic. And at that point, those years were primarily spent in the area of Learning and development and training, and so during that time I went back to school, got my master's in education, uh, and then what I knew was going to happen happened. I was living where I'm living now uh, because with the startup had been here, which is in the Lehigh Valley of Pennsylvania, and Matrona came to me and said, "Hey, look, you know it's been uh, it's been great. You've been living remotely, and I was you know traveling a lot, so it didn't really matter. But they said it's it's time you're going to have to move to Minneapolis for your next job. Nothing against Minneapolis." uh just wasn't something that my family and I were really interested in doing at the time so it was at that point Jar, that i really faced sort of a of a of a dilemma i it, the question was do i want to go to another big company and run a run a large learning organization Um, I turned 50. My father had passed, which was a big event in my life. And I decided I really need to do something different. So it was at that point that I went out on my own and created my my consulting uh, organization, uh, which uh, is called About Face Development. And I've been doing this now for about seven years. So I spend uh, I spend about 40 percent of my time facilitating programs in the area of advanced selling skills. So training advanced level sellers in uh, enterprise selling, executive level selling. I spend about another 40% uh, of my time, uh, focused on facilitating leadership and management development at, at all levels. So from, from prospective leaders all the way through the C suite. And then about 20% of my time I spend one on one executive coaching. So I'm a, I'm a certified executive coach from UC Berkeley. Um, and that's pretty much brings us up to date.
2: Yeah, so that's quite the resume. But before we move on, I just want to say thank you so much for your service and your dedication to our country. You know, as a as a veteran myself, I definitely know the sacrifice and the things that it takes to actually serve our country and and uh, help those that make to do the things that helps makes us free. And I'm always curious. I always like to ask the question to veterans is uh, what did you learn? What did you take away from the military that gave you the leadership skills today that you're able to implement into your everyday work life?
1: Well, that's a that's a, first of all, thank you for your service as well. And that's a that's a pretty big question. So a couple of things I think I'd mention was one of the most interesting things that, uh, and I'm using that term interesting to be fair, when I transitioned to the private sector was as as you may be aware, uh, you know when you if you spend a 20 year career, for example, in the military, during that 20 years, you'll spend roughly as an officer about three full years of that 20 years solely focused on developing your leadership skill. And, and you'll do that in courses where you don't have another job. So you will be completely focused over over the course of that time, whether that's anywhere from probably three months to as long as, you know, for for some of the more senior courses, nine months long. I got to the private sector. And the first thing I noticed was that there's a lot less leadership development, if at all. And all of those development programs or courses, you have another job while you're in them. So you have other responsibilities. So uh, so there's a lot, you know, I think the military does a great job of really focusing on developing leaders. It's what I really see lacking in in the uh, in the private sector and in corporations and I and I primarily work with Fortune 100 organizations so names that you'd be familiar with so that was one of the things that I think I took away um, the other that I think is looking back is is different today is that as a leader in the military you're you're not only responsible for your folks jobs you know their their day to day preparing them or doing the jobs they do, you're really holistically responsible for the individual. And and oftentimes that bleeds into their families. So, you know, one of your soldiers bounces a check, you get a call. One of your soldiers having issues, you know, at home, you get involved. And so I think that that holistic approach to understanding and appreciating what motivates an individual and what some of the challenges are, really play into that. And I, what's interesting is I see that also now as an executive coach. So very often when I'm coaching somebody in the C-suite, it's not unusual to be focusing our conversations on what's happening with them personally, that's impacting their job performance uh, versus just talking about their work. So it's a couple, you know, a couple things that that I kind of took away from that.
2: No, I love that. Now, what, what are some of the big problems that you're finding in the workforce when it comes to leadership?
1: Well, first and foremost, I would say is, is the, is the lack of leadership and management development as a whole. Uh, that is really what I see as, as the epidemic today. You know, in, in a lot of surveys of senior executives, they're asked, what is most important that you work on developing in your organization? And, and leadership and management development is almost always at the top of that list. Unfortunately, they're also asked, what are the areas you're deficient in? And leadership and management development is also always at the top of that list. So, um, you know, we, we do a great job in most organizations, or, mo- or I should say most organizations that, that I work with and associate with that are clients of mine do a tremendous job of training folks to do their jobs, right? What are the tasks and the responsibilities they have? They do a great job there. Uh, but leadership and management. Always falls to the wayside either due to budget, due to time, number of, of things we can get into. What I hear, but uh, but to me, it's the the challenge in this area is just the lack of development. And I think a lot of organizations. And it, it's funny because people will say this to me, clients will say this to me, and when they're when it's coming out of their mouths, I can tell they know they don't believe it. They'll say, "Well, we hire folks." who have been leaders, so they've been trained. Well, the reality is they're not being trained in most places, so you're getting them and you're saying, oh, well, they've been trained. No, they, they have experience, but not, they haven't necessarily been trained uh, as leaders and managers.
2: All right so why do you think that uh, there's lack of leadership development and management training within an organization do you think it's just people don't know how to actually lead and teach people or lead people or they don't you know they don't they don't have the skill set they don't know how or it's just a lack of time like they just don't have the time to do it and so that's why they hire someone like you to come in here and do it where do you see like the biggest gap
1: is Well I think the gap is that There's a misperception that you can't track return on investment for the investment in leadership and management development. So when I'm talking to organizations and they're looking at their budgets and where they need to focus, a lot of times leadership and management development is on the list, but it falls off when it comes to budgetary constraints. And again, because they they don't think there's a return on investment. Now, I would argue that because the reality is the number one reason individuals leave jobs, um, and this is since post-industrial revolution, this has always been the answer. Number one reason employees leave jobs is their direct manager. And so the reality is that the cost of a, of an undesirable turnover is anywhere. You know, we are, for my clients, we estimate it somewhere around 250000 That's the cost of the hiring process the training dollars that were spent that are lost, the retraining, the opportunity costs that are missed during that transition. So you know, I would argue that there's a tremendous cost to a lack of competency and leadership and management. Uh, but a lot of times it, it it's hard for folks to really get behind that and see that.
2: Yeah. So a lot a lot of really good things I want to unwind right here. So when it comes to like the the leadership from a team, because you say like one of the, the biggest reason why people usually you know leave is due to management. And but, uh, you know, where, where do you think that people, organizations will spend majority of the money? You know, I'm, I'm assuming that most of the money comes from, you know, you spend a lot more on recruiting, training and things like that. Like you just said, you know, over 250,000 do this. Or is it best to try to equip and really train the people that you have there? Where, where do you usually start whenever you come into an organization and you're seeing like a high turnover rate within their employees? Where do, where, where do you normally start in that process and what, how do you fix
0: that?
1: So when it's a great question, when when organizations come to me, it's one of the first questions I ask. Well, I guess I would start here. Uh, what I've learned over the years is that when a client comes to me and says, we, we have these problems and we think they're a result of this, about half the time that's actually what they're resulting from. So there's a need to sort of evaluate and figure out. So for instance, and th- this will resonate with you. When folks come to me and say, we, we, we have a negotiations problem, a lot of times, it's a sales problem, not a negotiations problem, right? They haven't they haven't they haven't delivered or sold value to a client, and you have to sell value before you get to negotiations. It's Very similar when it comes to leadership. They'll say, well, you know we 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 have high turnover, and that's the result of we're not paying folks well enough or we think we need to revamp the compensation plan or are we competitive? Uh, and most of the time, when I head down the path of doing a, an organizational diagnostic, which is a pretty involved process, what comes out of that is a lack of leadership and management competency. And, and you see it in, I see it in those diagnostics because it's really a, a haves versus a have nots, right? I'll talk to employees who are thrilled with their immediate manager. They've got somebody who's really sound, who's either developed good skill or maybe they've been trained somewhere else. Uh, and then you have those who all they want to do is talk about how bad their management is. And those really start to reveal what the real challenges are.
2: Yeah, so many good things. And I want to come back and start talking about like some pitfalls that once we get back from our break, some of the pitfalls that organizations usually suffer with. And what, do you, what are the signs or the things that we need to look for to recognize that we need some help in our, our, our leadership development and managing skills? And then what are some steps that we can take to actually fix it? So how do we observe that we have a problem and how do we fix the steps moving forward to actually that problem? So let's stay tuned. We'll come back here after a minute.
0: And now a word from our sponsors. Navigating the business world can be daunting. Welcome to the Business Leaders Network, a community of like-minded entrepreneurs ready to share invaluable experience. As a BLN member, enjoy dynamic networking opportunities with high-level entrepreneurs, learn cutting-edge strategies from industry experts, and gain a platform to showcase your business. Get started today for only $37, which is less than your daily cup of coffee. Join a community that can transform your business. Visit www.blncommunity.com to get started. Your are It's our mission at BLN. Let's navigate the business world together. And now back to the show.
2: All right. Today we have a special guest. His name is Pat. We're talking about on addressing today's leadership gap epidemic. And I asked a question before we went off that I really want to dive deeper into probably for the rest of the show is one. How do as, as an organization, as a company, how do we identify that we have a leadership or a leadership development managing type problem? And then what I would love to do is dive into what are the steps that we can do to actually fix this problem? So I'm assuming that when you go into an organization, you you first address the problem, where, where are they lacking and things like that. But I can honestly say from working with a lot of entrepreneurs or conversations that I have that a lot of times people just don't even recognize that they have a problem. Everyone wants to point the finger at the other people. It's like, they quit because of this. They quit because, you know, whatever reason or they're lazy. They don't want to work. They don't want to show up. They don't want to whatever it is, but it's never me and the organization and us that's going in there and fixing it so I know it takes a lot of humbleness and it takes a lot of pride to really say hey you know what I want to get better and I I I want some help but when you're diving in you're doing this onboarding you know questionnaire and you're I really figuring out like where does the problem actually lay how do we identify that we have a problem in the first place
1: well great question Jer and um you know I think the first thing I would say is that you know identifying if you have a problem I, I think from a management leadership standpoint um, undesirable turnover is probably the, the the first glaring thing you would see right are you losing folks that you don't want to lose? and the reality is and it's funny because i do uh, I do a number of of facilitated programs with organizations and and with managers i will I will take a list of the of the ten most common motivators of Employees and I will ask each of them to individually rank them. And then I will, you know, then gather that information and I'll put it up, put it up on a flip chart. And what immediately shocks people is money is never is never yep. at the top of the list, never. It never is, and and we all think it is. Everyone says well, we're not paying enough, and the reality is, I mean, if, if you have a major compensation issue and you're not competitive at all, certainly, but the reality is, individuals, you know, motive, motive, money is not uh, an emotional motivator. It's a, it's a rational motivator. The question is, okay, what do people do with that money? So that is never at the top of the list. So understanding what's motivating your employees is really key, but to go back, when I go into the organization and I do, uh, I, I do what I call a diagnostic, and I give my clients two options, and I make it very clear which one I prefer, right? One is I can do a survey, right? We can do an online survey. What does that give me? I can do, I can gather more information, um, but I do prefer to do live interviews. So instead of sending out a 100 surveys, I might interview for an hour each, 30 people in the organization at all levels, and what I like about that is we do them over Zoom, I get to see the reactions, I get to delve into things, and normally after the first couple, I start to identify things which allows me to delve more into them. But you said something really interesting before the break, you said, how do we observe? And what's interesting about that that particular word is, are we observing? So that's one of the first things I will ask. So I will ask employees, how often Is your manager or leader working with you, spending time with you, observing and checking in with you? And I'm gonna tell you, JR, that that to me has become the biggest challenge, I think, in organizations specifically related to leadership today. Why? Because I think as technology has advanced and has made us, without question, uh, given us the ability to do more work, it's also created more work outside of the one-on-one interaction and the observation that is really needed to figure out is this employee: do they know what they're doing? Do they know how to do it well? Are they learning from what they're doing? So a lot of times I will go to organizations and I'll say, and, and to give an example, this is work that I actually don't do, um, but I will recommend folks. You know, this is this is this is you know budget that I'd love you to spend on me, but I'm not going to ask you to. Is bring somebody in who will actually look at. What are your leaders and managers spending their time doing? And let's get an actual data and let's get data down, list down of where are they spending their time. And very often what we find is when the leader says, I don't have time to spend with my people observing them, there's usually some truth to that. But the organization's got to now look at that data and say, what can we take off their plate that really allows them to observe their folks and really dig into do they know what they're doing? They know how to do it, and how do we help them improve? Because that's that's such a challenge today. And we find duplication of work, we find just too many reports, just too much management time is being spent, and not enough leadership time is spent. So that's one of the first things I help you know an organization address is hey, your managers, let's be honest, the success that your success as a leader and manager is completely predicated on the ability of your team the individuals in that team to be successful. They've got to be able to do their jobs, but you've got to be able to observe them and help them grow and perform, right? I can't be a leader and a manager and succeed solely on my own skill. I've got to be able to coach, train, develop the people in my organization. They've got to be able, you know, they've got to have good performance in order for me to succeed. So that's the first thing that, you know, I pick up on right away in most organizations is there's just too much time spent on managerial tasks that doesn't leave them enough time to actually lead.
2: That brings some interesting questions to my mind as you're, as you're speaking that, because I'm like, okay, why, why are they not observing? Why are they not spending time with their staff and their employees? Uh, you know, just, just all the big whys. It's like, okay, if you're, if you're hungry for your business and the growth of your business, don't you want to have a pulse on what's going on? Don't you want to help your team excel and uh, become better? And uh, I don't know. It's just, a, it's just an inter- interesting question that really that that really comes to mind for me because you know, I, ideally, if you're if you're wanting to build a successful business that want that has a culture that people love to be part of, then you'll you'll be invested to want to grow it. And um, maybe, maybe there's some problems with it. Maybe maybe it, it's not even just a it, it stops at one spot, but maybe there's a bigger issue. I mean, do you, well, do you know the reason,
0: or did you just yeah, not know? I,
1: yeah, and I think one of those is, do they have the time, is number one, right? Is, does senior leadership and does management of the organization understand and appreciate that they need that time? But then there's also, Jared, that that end one, which is, do they have the competency to actually develop these folks, right? Do they know how to coach? Do they know how to develop these individuals, which gets right back in full circle to what we started the conversation on, which is what I spend the majority of my time doing,
2: yeah, So I'm, I'm smiling and laughing because that's the answer I wanted you to give. <laughs> I was like, you know, the real answer is, are they even competent in what they're doing to even lead these people? And so because most of the time we feel like we're great leaders. Like I, I, I personally had to humble myself recently and I went to w- my business partner, and my coach, and I was like, you know, I, I feel like I'm a really great coach. At what I do, I'm, I love teaching, I love helping people, but I'm coming to realize I don't know if I know how to lead people in this in, in a very specific area. Because I failed at it so many times, like where I I expect, you, you brought up a comment before. We said we, we, we hire people that should already know how to do their job. We hire people with the, the exact expertise to be able to do it. And that's great and all, but they don't know your culture. They don't know your systems and processes. They don't know what is your what does it take for you to actually do it. It's a different system. It's a different way of doing things. And they have to learn to adapt to it. But you're you're right. A lot of times, in, and I'm I'm at fault for it too. Is I hire people, you know, with them already having expecting them to have that expertise to be able to do that. And so I don't want to. I want hands off. Like I want to hire someone that comes in and does it because I don't have time to actually lead you and teach you and do all these other things. Or else I would go find someone and I would groom them up and I would train them and I would do all those different things. And it's a challenge. So you you said exactly what I wanted to hear, but it's also you know you're spitting in my face, telling me like okay, I need to make some changes. Um, But before we go before we go into that, you know, you said something earlier about like why people don't why people don't stay, and it's never for money, for the for the instance. I mean, uh, to me, three things that came to mind, and you know, a a quote that we all hear before. But one, it always starts with vision. Like the best partnership that ever that ever the best partnership that's ever created is two different parties that believe and align in the same vision. So does the employee even align with the culture and the vision of where you're going in the first place? Because this is the second, the the, the quote that I was mentioning is like, we will fight for money, but we will die for a cause. So if we really, if we really believe that money was the issue, we would fight for that, but people are going to stay because they believe in that cause. They believe in that vision. They believe in what we actually stand for when it comes to that. And so as you're speaking, I'm like going through all these things are going through my head. I'm like, man, there's there's a lot deeper thing. And it makes me really feel and challenged where it's like, I need to talk more about vision. I need to talk about why we're doing what we're doing in the first place with what we have going on, because I can get, I can bring people on and they can stay for a, a, you know, a period of time and I can convince them I'm a great sales guy. I can get them in. I can sell them on why I want, they need to be part of my community or why they need to join my team or whatever it may be. But will they stay, and will they stay for two, threes, five, ten years from now? yeah, so you you
1: you brought up quite a few things I made some notes here, so i'll I'll even go back a bit, so you know although we know the number one reason people leave jobs is their manager. The reality is, for and again, that's you know, in the industrial revolution, it was safety, right? My my grandfather worked at Bethlehem Steel, and my father and his brothers worked there, and they used to talk about you know why they felt unions were great back then because they kept them alive, right? We're in a very different circumstance today, but post the industrial revolution, people's managers was a number one reason. Now here's the reality: for decades, that was so the number one answer. It wasn't even worth looking at the number two answer until probably around five years or so, where where these surveys around why people leave jobs, the number two answer started to bubble up and became worth talking about. And there's some irony here because the number two reason people leave jobs is a lack of development. And Mm -hmm. I think there's a misperception in the market that a lack of development too often when I'm sharing this with, with senior teams, I get the comment of, well, that's because people in this generation want to get promoted too quickly. And I'll say, you know, that may be a topic, Mm -hmm. but that's not what we're talking about here now. When I go back to 20 years ago, I ran recruiting for sales at Johnson & Johnson for, for, the, for, uh, for the United States. And if I had interviewed somebody, JR, 20 years ago, and at the end of the interview, when you when you turn it over to the to the candidate and you say, hey, "Do you have any questions?" If somebody had asked me, "What kind of development are you going to provide me in this role?" I, I'd probably you know I probably would have said, "Well, I'm you know I'm not even interested in you. How dare you ask that question?" But the reality is today, and it's not only the war for talent, but today people are interested in what are you going to do to develop me. So so that plays into this whole need for development. But I'll also comment on when we were talking about hiring people and assuming they have management leadership, let's talk for a second about how we promote from within. Oh, well, you're a great individual contributor. You've done a great job in your, in, in your current role, so you're going to make a great manager. And that is one of the massive mistakes I mean, I, I see made and I see organizations, even clients of mine who know better right? I will have conversations and we'll be talking about expansion and they'll say, we're creating two new management roles and say, I'm looking at promoting this person and this person. And I'll be like, okay, we know that they're good performers as an individual contributor, but do we have any sense at all? Have we assessed at all their ability or their potential to be a good leader? And lo and behold, six months rolls back around and I'm getting a call going, hey, we're we're gonna be replacing those folks because you know, we really didn't assess and they're not good managers. So you know, that, that raises that whole issue of an individual, a good individual contributor does not a great leader make, right? Um, and so organizations have to be very careful about how are they evaluating the leadership potential before they make a decision to promote folks. And it's, it's a mistake that's made you know, far too often and, and far too much.
2: Yeah, a lot of really good things uh, that you unpacked right there. We're going to get ready to go to our second break right now. But, uh, you know, when, when we get back, I would love to talk about the steps that we can take to help develop these leaders. But once we, once we figure out like what the big problem is, you know, observing are we uh, lack of development and, and all these other things, what are steps that we can, that as a leader, someone listening to this can take. To actually start making change inside their business, and yes, we know the answer is let's just hire Pat. But yeah. you know, but what are, what, are, what are some things that we that someone can listen and take away? Be like, you know what, here's some steps that we can do to help develop great leaders within our organization, so that way we don't have a high turnover, so we don't have you know ongoing issues that we continue to face. So I'd love to love to dive into that, and we'll come back here after a brief
0: moment. And now a word from our sponsors. Stuck in growth and need more time to serve your clients? Let Jr. Spear and his Creed Consulting team help. We offer a full done-for-you service, strategizing and building your program to scale fast. From video shoots to web design and automation, we've got you covered. Our expertise gives you more time to deliver the quality your clients deserve. Ready to build faster and serve better? Call us today at 314-221-9216 and let's kickstart your coaching program and build a. quality quality of product your clients deserve. And now back to the show.
2: All right. We got Pat here today and we're talking about leadership development and organizations. And if you missed the first part of the show, we were really talking about the signs, the steps that you know that it takes to really un- discover where we have a problem in leadership. And the first one we, we, we said was like, you got to recognize that you're having high turnover. When you have a high turnover, that probably shows that you have some sort of leadership development problem. And then we talked about like the lack of observing. So people like leaders within a company, they're not observing you know, what's going on within their employees, within their organization, what's going on within you know, the, the doors, inside of the doors, the walls of what's going on with their company. And then we talk about lack of development. So we observe it, but then also lack of development and really training these leaders and where that's a big issue because we're not taking the time as leadership, as the managers of a company to really develop our leaders. So if you missed the first part of the show, I want to encourage you guys go back. Listen to it, take some notes because here's some really cool things that may be some eye-wakening to you to really observe yourself to say, hey, you know what, I have a problem and I need some help. And uh, I asked Pat that when we come back that we would start. We'll talk about right now of what are some steps that you guys can take as leaders in your organization to help fix some of these problems. So Pat, you know, we we just uncovered those you know three different things: turnover, observation, and lack of development. What are some steps that we can do that can help make some change and we can implement today to start making a difference?
1: Uh, good question. So uh, first thing, Jerry, I'd say is, is and I, I know we mentioned this, but the organization, especially the leadership of the organization has to first admit that they have a competency gap, right? They have to admit, Hey, we, we have these issues and these issues are a result of a lack of management and leadership competency. And then subsequent to that, be willing to commit to, you know, to changing that. You know, be willing to commit to, to to identifying that what the gaps are and really developing that. I think the second thing is then to remove the barriers, right? Um, do our folks have the time they need, just at a high level, to develop their leadership and management skill? And it's it's interesting because a lot of times with organizations and and other consultants might might argue this point with me, but I feel pretty confident on it. One of the things I'll ask during the early stages of working with a client is, how much time realistically can we carve out for these folks to develop, to commit to leadership and management and development? Because, because very often they'll say, well, I, you know, I think we need to commit two days every month to leadership and management and development. And, and I typically look at them and go, hey, that's aspirational. But in my experience, that's not realistic, you know, how much time can you commit, And we might land on uh, two days of live training per quarter. And then in between remote sessions to either reinforce or to or to address things that don't have to be done in live training. So we have to be real realistic about what's the time commitment that these folks can make that the organization is willing to commit. Uh, that's realistic for them. I think the next thing is then to decide, okay, what what does a formal program look like? And when I say formal, you know, for me as a consultant, I deliver formal programs. But just what is a sound program that you know that has cadence and rhythm over time? Because leadership development is a journey. I mean, I I consider myself a student of leadership and my leadership journey is never ending, right? Being a leader never ends. You're always you know, you're always developing. We go back to Harvard's definition of a true professional, which Harvard would say, a professional is somebody who's always working on their game, who's always developing. So you gotta keep that in mind. Um, and then I think um, you need to identify, um, you know, what are those gaps that are greatest in the organization? And those do vary, right? Some organizations do a good job in certain areas. Uh, just as a matter of course, or because of the culture, there are certain things they do well. So it's never, a, you know, it's not definitely not a one size fits all. Uh, so I think you need to you need to keep that in mind. And then the other thing is, I I can't stress enough the importance of identifying within the organization, who are the really sound leaders. So you'll, you go to most organizations, you say, you give me a list of the five folks in the organization, leaders of five Five leaders in the organization that everyone respects. You'll get a, you'll get a list. You will immediately get a list of those folks that are really successful and leverage those folks because. In my business, and I come from a background in learning and development, even within large organizations, you normally don't have the expertise in a training department for, per se. You don't have the expertise in leadership and management development. That expertise is spread across the organization, different individuals, different roles. Um, and then set up, and I'm a big proponent of this, and even in formal programs I like create in large organizations, cannot overstate the importance of peer-to-peer sharing. Um, you know, get folks to share what's working, but also what the you know what's not working. What are the mistakes they're making? It, it's funny because um, I had written an article on this for Entrepreneur online a few months ago. Uh, when I ask folks what's it like when you make a mistake in your organization, the answers to that the answers to that question tell me a lot about the culture, and they fall into three buckets, right? Bucket one is, oh my gosh, if I make a mistake, I hide it at all costs, zero, we're a zero you know, tolerance culture, and I don't want anybody to know. The second bucket is sort of the, well, I'll tell my leader, my manager, so they kind of know in case it comes back, but they'll do a good job of hiding it. And then the third bucket is those folks who will say, not only am I encouraged to share it with my manager, but I'm encouraged to share it with my peer group. So that they can learn and not make the same mistakes. And there is a direct correlation, Jaron, what I see in the culture and the success of the organization being those that are willing to share. So peer to peer sharing on a regular basis, because formal training, as we all know, is only a small portion of development in an organization. But the more you can bring peers together and share, and this goes in all functions. I do this with executive level sales. Uh, teams where I'm like, hey, let's get on the phone once a month. Somebody share uh, you know, an executive level meeting they had, what worked, what didn't. People learn from that. And leadership is exactly the same. And it gives you a chance to bounce things off of everyone. And Berkeley did a nice job when I was in the executive coaching program there. Um, they don't say what went wrong or what you could do better. They'll use this term of what's an upgrade so you ask the rest of the team hey you've all heard this story you've heard this challenge or they've told you what transpired what might be an upgrade here and that gives a chance for all these other leaders to share hey i've had a similar circumstance i took this action it worked out really well so you can't again you can't over there's you cannot possibly overvalue the fact of sharing amongst each other really helps everyone grow uh, and I think that's really important. Having that culture of sharing and learning from,
0: uh, from peers. And now, a word from our sponsors. Ready to elevate your coaching business and make a profound impact? Discover your roadmap in J.R. Spears' book, The Success Guide to Building Your Coaching Empire. Immerse in wisdom earned through years of successful coaching, presenting a strategic battle plan to navigate challenges and seize opportunities. Don't just survive, but thrive in your industry. Get your copy at www.jrspear.com today. Let this guide be your companion in your journey to a powerful coaching empire. Transform your business and make a bigger impact now. And now back to the show. It's huge, because the reality
1: is this, no matter how well I get to know an organization, client of mine, I'm never gonna be in that organization on a day-to-day basis. So my knowledge is never greater than the collective of the leaders. So having them get together and share, and I love to facilitate those sessions, because I'll ask, hey, who's faced this challenge? And how does it work here? And what would you do in this organ? You know, I can give them some insight and some ideas, but then we'll talk about it and say, does that work here or how would you alter it to apply here? So that's really important.
2: No, a lot of really good things. And you know, I want to go back to the third one that you mentioned where you said, you know, what does a formal program look like and does it have sound cadence? Because I'm for like I, I own multiple different businesses, and one of them that I do is I actually build programs for organizations and coaches and things like that, where we do everything from the video shoot to building the automation and you know set up their CRM and making sure that it's all very sync and and works and and fluid. And so for you, when it comes to creating a leadership development program, I'm, I'm very curious on your process and your steps of what what you do with that. Like do you do you teach them on how to do it in phases? Do you teach them on how to do it in like, okay, here's the first thing, the second thing? What, what
1: does that look like? So that's a great question. So when I left industry and went into consulting, I spent the first nine months of that time looking at all of the research and history and data around leadership and management development programs over the last 50 years. And and not surprisingly, there is actually a ton of data. There's There's academic data. There's industry data, there's hybrid, there's meta-analyses of these. And as a result of that, I looked at all of the competencies that academic and industry had sort of applied. And I started with a list of what was 300. So it was uh, quite a process. And essentially all that research narrowed down to 20 key leadership and management competencies. Now what's interesting is they don't vary based on function or industry. Now there are nuances to those in application, but the 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 top 20 can you know we're after doing all that research really pretty clear. So I'll go to the organization and then we'll review those 20 competencies and I will ask them based on their feedback and then what I learned from my diagnostic, what are the priorities? Now I'm going to tell you that it's almost the the first two are almost always the same across every organization. Number one and number two are always uh, uh, interviewing and hiring, right? If, if you can't, if you don't have the skill to identify and hire the right people, you're you're dead in the water before you get started. So that's one of the f- top two. And the other one is coaching, coaching and developing people. Those are always the first two. So we'll look at, okay, what do we need to do to immediately address those two? But then we'll go through the rest of the competencies and we will essentially uh, force rank them based on what they know about the organization, what I've learned, and we'll, we'll Put together a long term continuous development program. Because again, leadership and management is a continuous process. So we'll put together typically a you know I'll start with a 20 month program in most organizations right that's those those 20 competencies and those things then just keep rolling because you have new leaders come into the organization that haven't been through it you have leaders who have been promoted during that time who are now you know that competency looks a little bit different at the second third fourth line management you know uh, level uh, so that's that's essentially how I cadence that and then in that we'll decide. Which of these competencies do we need to do live training? They're really critical. We need to get folks together. It's you know it's a couple days in person. Which of those do we want to drive reinforcement to? And then there's other competencies, Jar. Like I always use this example of meeting management. Now meeting management as a leader is a key tw- top 20 competency, but it's not something I need to get folks together live. So we'll deliver uh, remote learning for that. So they might have access. My clients might have access to four or five. Uh, micro learnings, videos that they can they can you look at today, or maybe they don't have a meeting to schedule for another three or six months, they can always go back to that and it'll tell them, you know, how do you logistically plan a meeting? How do you plan an agenda? How do you manage the speakers, right? So those things they can always call back to. So I think having a, um, a learning system as well that allows them to always refresh uh, both for the ones that are critical as well as the secondary ones that are important, but not important enough to do live training are part of that. So that's a little bit about how I sort of plan uh, plan the, the cadence.
2: What about the difference between doing uh, virtual like uh, evergreen type training programs versus doing in-person training programs and then also group or one-on-one?
1: So uh, the pandemic taught us a lot. Uh really, I think that we're 15 years beyond where we would have been uh, v- without the pandemic on this question of remote uh, learning. So uh, at the start of the pandemic, everyone was a captive audience, people weren't weren't going to the office, they weren't calling on customers, so, you know, immediately organizations would say, well, we need to do everything remote, and over the course of those couple of years, we learned a few things. Number one, tools like this advanced drastically during that time, right? Zoom teams became, you know, so people's exposure all of a sudden was, oh, wow, these tools actually can really work when they would have never, nobody was considering them, very few people utilizing them before the pandemic. So that was number one. Now the initial reaction, first three to six months from clients was, oh my gosh, we're never going back to live training, in-person training. Well, sure, you're saving a ton of money on travel, saving a ton of money on catering and hotel rooms. Um, But what we did realize was we started to look at, and I started to look at which programs could work remotely, which ones didn't work remotely, and we made some adjustments. There were certainly some things that we had historically delivered in person that we were like, hey, we can do some of this remotely. I think the one biggest advantage of the pandemic is it it helped solve one of the greatest challenges of training and learning, which was the challenge of reinforcement. Folks go to a program, they might pick up a ton of great things, they come home, they stick the binder on the shelf and it never comes out again, right? What we learned is that reinforcement and, and I think the data suggests 90 minutes is is probably the sweet spot. I try to keep it to 60. I think 60 minutes to have people on and really truly engaged in a reinforcement session uh, is ideal. Uh, But I think 90 is okay too. But I think when you start getting beyond that, you start losing folks and they have challenges with managing their, their jobs and their business. So I think that that really helped us. But I think the pandemic taught us a lot about what works in person, what can work remotely some things to be frank with you some things we were doing remotely before or my clients were doing remotely before the pandemic we sort of relooked and said you know what we're not getting you know we're not getting the bang for the buck out of this we got to move this into a live session and maybe we adjust some other things out
2: yeah so so what i'm gathering from what you're saying is you know remote is definitely has this place but we don't want to lose the in person especially from culture and community and just like camaraderie amongst others i mean being a veteran, we know the power of camaraderie, and just you know, being band of brothers and together is a is a big difference that you don't get
1: virtual. Um, there's so- there's that, and there's also the question of skill development. Skill development is very hard. Role playing, skill development, uh, case studies, mm-hmm. very difficult to do remotely as effectively as you can do it in person. Uh, so I think those are critical when you're doing practice. You're gonna, you know, you're you're gonna get a better bang for the buck, and and you're gonna get better engagement and greater development when you're doing, you know, skill development practice in person. Yeah, I I, I can
2: I can probably have a whole other episode on these different things, but one thing I wanted, to, one I, I wonder if you're gonna hit on this one really quick. I've I've been part of the you know the you know the whatever you want to call it the corporate world and sales, and you know I used to sell a lot of commercial equipment and material handling stuff and things like that. And they would do a quarterly event, you know, not an event, but like a quarterly meeting where everyone came in, all the technicians, the salespeople, internal staff and things like that. And it's like, everyone was there just because they had to be there. But yeah. I can't tell you, I can't tell you one person that was in that room that actually loved being there other than just the staff that put it on. Cause they were like, oh, we get to go hang out and we get to get out of the office, get to do those things. But I think the biggest reason why, and I'm speaking from my personal uh, experience is there was absolutely zero value that was driven at those meetings. It Mm -hmm. was more Mm -hmm. just talking about, you know, core values and culture, which I understand is very important, Mm -hmm. but there's nothing that's going to develop me as a salesperson or develop me as a a, a professional or entrepreneur or salesperson or whatever it may be. It was more just talking about the agenda of the company itself and why they have to be compliant, but not necessarily teaching me how to better my skill set of interviewing and hiring and coaching and you know communication and all these different things so we we only have like three minutes left are you able to hit on that like really quick in about 30 seconds because i want you to have a chance to be able to share how people can get in touch with you
1: so i think that comes down to me to the difference i consider myself a professional facilitator i'm not a lecturer i'm not a i'm not an instructor i'm not a teacher i'm a facilitator and that's what makes all the difference i i I bring folks together, I share concepts, and then we talk about how do they apply in their business and then we practice them. And that's when, it, that's when that individual gets value out of that time they spend where they're seeing a direct connection to, okay, this is the concept, here's how it works in my business, now I'm gonna practice it or we're gonna talk about it. Because again, I can know a lot about their business, but the collective of 25 folks in the room, I'm never gonna match. So now we want to talk about okay how does this apply now let's practice let's bat this around and let's see some people demonstrate it um i think that's the real difference mike your experience is probably more of lecturers presenters i you know jr i i, I don't use any slides i will teach a two three-day program and i do not use powerpoint it's not that i hate powerpoint it's that powerpoint's not a facilitator right we give folks a workbook and they actually work in that book and they fill things in, and they talk about it, and we actually experience the training versus just looking at it. That's really good.
2: All right, so the last couple minutes, let's share about like who is your ideal client and who do you want to connect with.
1: So my di- ideal client are really, you know, two um, in the area, first in the area of leadership and management development organizations that are, you know, that are experiencing undesirable turnover or that already know and have identified they they have a gap in leadership competency. Um, You know, those are the clients that I love to work with, um, you know, because I like to understand and help them identify what are the specific competencies they're lacking. And then let's put together a plan to really get at that over time. Clients that aren't ideal for me are clients that are looking for a one hit. I, you know, folks who are, I hate turning down business, but when folks come and say, "Hey, we've got this four hours at this meeting, can you come in? That's just not what I do. I wanna create a relationship long-term where we have a plan because again, leadership development is a journey that never ends. Um, And then on the the other side is executive coaching. I I work with a handful of individuals uh, at any given time because I've learned over the years that you you can't really do too many one-on-one executive coaching assignments uh, because they they are pretty demanding um, but but those folks as well senior executives at the C-suite uh, often those are tra- those are folks who are transitioning to the C-suite so they're moving out of a tactical primary tactical role to a strategic role because that's a real challenge for folks um, those are those are some ideal clients.
0: Thank you for listening to The Daily Creed. We hope you enjoyed. For more, connect with us at www.blncommunity.com. That's www.blncommunity.com. We'll see you here next time.